This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to trek fm's dedicated books and comic show i am one of the hosts just one matthew rushing and with me as he always is my good friend the nanook of the north (laughs) dan gunther how's it going dan hey matthew uh doing not too badly uh yeah um lately it's been not so much cold up here but very very hot with lots of uh forest fires all over the province oh oh y'all are getting hit with that this year that's awful yeah some pretty bad ones up here but uh hopefully getting some rain uh soon because boy could we ever use it <laughs> you know that that actually happened last year up here too uh, gosh nobody's gonna care about this but it happened up here in uh, where i live as well we had some really bad forest fires in uh oregon and washington and i live right on the border mm-hmm. both of those so um yeah oh that's that's definitely something that's been happening uh but hey you know what? We have good news for you guys. We have comics to talk about. We have some, uh, well, gosh, we've got a book cover to judge uh, and a blurb to talk about. So we've got so much packed into the show. And, Dan, I think I think we should invite a guest on, maybe. What do you think? Well, you know, 149 episodes... Yeah, sure. I think it's I think it's time to have another guest on. Yeah, yeah, me too. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably... We'll line somebody up between you know the news and the feature we'll get them in here i'm sure um, someone will, will stop by yeah i mean yeah it happens but um so we did as i said we had the comics come out uh, this week and uh, manifest destiny number three dropped and uh you know i know that for you the the second one um was eh. so i'm wondering if this one kind of redeemed itself or if it continued that downward slide for you uh, I gotta say it it picked back up w- again with this one, you know. Again, kind of a continuation of the fight that started in the second one, but uh, there was I was a little bit more invested this time around. We kind of get a little bit more movement on what was introduced at the end of the last issue, which was this kind of mutiny that's taking place here. Uh, we get a little bit of movement on that front, which I really appreciated, and. I don't know, some of the, you know, the thoughts of uh, this crew kind of being, uh, kind of fighting the Klingons through the decks of the Enterprise and holding the line and, and you know, repelling the invaders. I, I don't know, there's something really compelling about that, uh, more so than 
you know, as visually interesting as the fight on the hull was in the last one, this one, I feel like I really got into the characters' mindsets and, and could kind of put myself in their position and, and the, the odds that they're having to overcome here. Uh, yeah, I was much more invested with this one. How about you? What did you think? Well, the thing, and, and I'm, I think I'm right there with you, this comic does a really good job of not making this just like a villain of the week, you know, Klingon of the week, bad guy of the week. They do this thing that we've never seen before in Star Trek, where this is a fleet of Klingon ships, you know, a few Klingon ships that are full of basically outcasts that don't have family, don't have that honor, and they are on the fringes of Klingon space trying to earn that honor by conquering different worlds for the Empire. Mm-hmm. And... I love that. I think it's really interesting. It's something, like I said, we haven't seen before in any Star Trek. So they're giving us something new, just as the J.J. verse should be doing, mm-hmm. um, kind of giving us things we've not seen before but feeling familiar enough, and uh, giving some great motivations to the different characters that we have there on the Klingon side and why you have this you know, female Klingon trying to take over from... The, her commanding officer and what she's trying to do and why she's trying to get Bones and Uhura and them to help him. And, I mean, to me, this this whole storyline, it just really picked up again with this issue. And I thought, okay, I, I, I get where that that second issue, what it was trying to do, so it could lead into this issue. And and, it, and I really see this story. I'm, I'm just hoping that the resolution is as is, is well done as where they were going with this one. And I think they have... Great setup. You know, I, I think they've created a, a good foil for Kirk, but they've given a lot of the other characters a lot of great things to do. Mm-hmm. And just they've made these Klingons just really interesting. So I, I got to give it to them. I think they have really rebounded from issue two. And uh, issue three was, I, I can't wait to see what uh, people will think about it because I, I have to say I, I loved it. Yeah, uh, definitely, uh, definitely on board with you on that opinion. Uh, we also get another issue of the ongoing series, uh, the third part of the Legacy of Spock storyline. Uh, what did you think of this one, Matthew? Well, this one had a very interesting beginning because it starts when Picard and Data are on Romulus in the Prime Universe during the Unification storyline. And that kind of ties into why Spock is on Romulus this time in the JJ universe. And this is one where I I really want to talk in generalities because I think what's happening in this story is just so cool. Mm -hmm. I I think it's a great use of prime Spock in the JJ verse, giving him something really interesting to do and telling us the backstory for what's going on with the Vulcans and how they find the planet they're going to be on and all that kind of stuff. I just, this is a great, great story to me. So for me, ongoing 57, uh, continuing on Spock legacy was just awesome. Yeah, I definitely have to agree there. Uh, There's a lot of really great stuff going on here uh, with, Spock on Romulus and Sarek back with the Vulcan fleet kind of, uh, and, and again, yeah, like you, I don't really want to give away too much because it, it's, 
it's really worth sitting down and reading yourself and uh, really absorbing, you know, the story and also the incredible artwork. Like I'm continually blown away by the likenesses, especially of Leonard Nimoy's Spock. Mm-hmm. But yes. uh, but also, you know, the the Vulcan Dame Judy Dench is uh, yes, pretty great too. <laughs> she makes a great appearance again, and it's fantastic. Well, absolutely, no. There, there's just uh, so many good things to say about this series, and and uh, I, you know. Uh, I'm both looking forward to the end of it, but also kind of like, oh, I don't want this to be over. I'm I'm really enjoying this journey with uh, the prime Spock in the JJ universe. I would put out there for me, this is one of the best stories so far that I have read in all of ongoings comics for Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And obviously we have read a lot of them. This is number 57. So uh, this is years in the making, uh, this this ongoing series. But uh, what they're doing here and the story that they're telling, it just feels fresh mm-hmm. and unique and interesting. And, you know, uh, what a great way, I think, um, you know, with, with Leonard Nimoy having passed, uh, kind of a great way to celebrate the character all over again. And it's really doing the character of Spock complete justice, mm-hmm. you know. And... Into Darkness, the scene with Spock is eh, pretty meh. Yeah. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's not a great scene. Um, and so the use of the prime Spock in this timeline with this comic is completely redeeming the reason for keeping him around in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, again... I, I feel like I'm just gushing, but I, you know, um, I I've been harsh on certain issues of of different comics that we've talked about um, when I I felt it needed to be, you know, just when it wasn't living up, and um, I'm not going to be afraid to say, gosh, I I'm just loving it. So it's 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 like apparently I'm like McDonald's, you know, I'm just I'm loving it. So <laughs> excellent. <laughs> well, next we have Legacies Book Two. Best Defense by by David Mack, and they just released the cover, and I got to ask you, you know, judging this book by the cover here, um, is this Pandora? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what, where this Or maybe, place. yeah, maybe, maybe this is Endor? It could be. Um, Ewoks are going to show up. That Ewoks. must be it, yeah. Or possibly Wookiees. That might be Kashyyyk. That would be cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like all of the sci-fi planets with trees yeah. put together. That's kind of what the, the, yeah, it really reminds me of. Every planet in Stargate SG-1. <laughs> there you go. Like, you know, British Vancouver. Columbia. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. It's an interesting cover. Um, I'm not sure exactly what I think about it. It, it seems kind of... You know, we we obviously don't know what this huge structure is in on this planet or what the significance is. Um, visually, it's kind of cool. Um, all the trees seem see through, which is kind of odd. But I don't know. What do you think of this one? It is a really interesting cover. I mean, maybe it's Christmas time on the cover because you have the the big star in the sky. Oh, yeah. You know, and so there's some wise men going to the east. I I don't know. Um, it is an interesting cover. I think. I don't know, Dan. Maybe the blurb will give us a better idea. Uh, and we did get that with the book as well. Oh, yeah. And it, it definitely sounds very really interesting here. So 
I and I kind of almost want to do it in like that movie trailer guy voice, but uh, I, I don't think I'm in a a debt of honor. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> a debt of honor. One brave woman ventures alone into a parallel universe to save her old shipmates, exiled there decades earlier by a mysterious device called the Transfer Key. She soon learns the alternate universe harbors not just an alien invasion force, but a secret that underpins its very existence. A mission of peace. A long-awaited Klingon Federation peace summit convenes, led by Ambassador Sarek of Vulcan and Counselor Gorkon of Kronos. But both sides have enemies who prefer the two great powers remain at war, and who will do anything to make certain hate wins the day. An errand of justice. Captain Kirk and his crew seek the stolen transfer key that opens a door between universes, but the Enterprise crew soon becomes targets in a deadly crossfire, one whose outcome will decide the fate of two universes. I don't know, it sounds pretty cool. It does, it does, and uh still not sure how this planet comes into being maybe this is where it all like maybe this is the bermuda triangle planet Mm -hmm. and where all these things come to a head but that blurb sounds awesome and knowing david mack it's gonna be a great book and and the whole idea of it being like parallel universes and this this transfer key thing maybe that's like the rabbit's foot and uh you know (laughs) mission impossible three where Nobody will know what it is, but we're going to all be searching for it. So uh, this is awesome. I'm very excited about the book, even if the cover does make me just ponder, like, what is going on? But maybe that's what the book is trying to do. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm definitely excited to get into this series. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, before we get into the feature, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about where you can find Literary Treks. Uh, We're wherever you can find your podcasts, uh, whether you're an Apple user or using another platform entirely. If you are an Apple user, please be sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a star rating and a review, Uh, especially this during the 50th anniversary. You know, a lot of people out there are looking for Star Trek podcasts, and this really helps us rise in the search results on iTunes and helps more Star Trek book fans to find us. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link there as well. If you'd like to get into contact with us, we have a form on the website at trek.fm contact. You can leave us a voicemail there as well. Just look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and we're also on Twitter at trekfm. We also on Facebook have the Babel Conference. Just type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. That's our listeners only group uh, where you can discuss all the episodes of all of the various podcasts we have on the network. For Literary Treks, we also have the Goodreads group. Just go to goodreads.com and search for Literary Treks. We have all the bookshelves there with previously covered books, as well as what we're currently reading, so you know what's coming up for future shows. Plus, great conversations happening about all the books and comics that make up the Star Trek universe. Well, Matthew, what do you say we greet our special guest? Well, I'm so glad we were able to get somebody on the line. Let's jump into the feature. Perfect. Dan, I am so excited tonight. Um, I don't know if many people realize this, but uh, tonight is the 149th episode of Literary Treks, and I, I'm just so excited to be here tonight with uh, the guest 
who was on the very first show of Literary Treks, and that is Dayton Ward. Dayton, how are you doing tonight? How's it going, guys? Hey, Dayton, great to have you on the show again. Always, always a lot of fun to talk to you. <laughs> it's great to be back. Well, I, I only have one thing. Okay, we have a lot of things to ask you, but if you have <laughs> something really, it's as long every as you're time, sure and there's a plan, I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah, ever since this book's title got released, I was a little disappointed that it wasn't Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> I tried, but they were like, "No, calm down, be an adult." Like, okay, okay, I just, That's I, boring. yeah, come on, <laughs> I, I, I knew that you would have tried, and and um, but yeah. <laughs> So we're not here to talk about Electric Boogaloo, uh, unfortunately. We're we're here to that that's its that's its title in like spirit, right? Well, I mean, it was it was from history's shadow to temporal boogaloo right up until like ten minutes before I submitted the manuscript. <laughs> so nice. And somewhere there's still a title page, or there's still a version with a title page that has that on there because I I just kept it for for as long as I could. I mean, I knew what the title was going to be, obviously, at that point, but I just couldn't bring myself to change it until it was done and ready to submit. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I mean, I, I wouldn't have wanted to either because that was fan, that's a fantastic title. But you ended up going with Elusive Salvation, and, you know, I, I remember when we talked about In History's Shadow, you know, you had some ideas uh, in your brain about what you might do with a sequel and so I kind of just wanted to talk to you a little bit about your your process of continuing this storyline and how you brought all the different pieces together. Because, um, you know, especially at the end of the book, I mean, you throw us for a few little loops with the way that you bring some things in and uh, you create some pretty interesting races that we've never seen before. So where did all that kind of come from for you? Well, when I did the first one and with all the insanity that surrounded the writing of that book, um, I didn't necessarily have a sequel in mind. Um, I mean, the, the, the first book was something of a, of a pet project, as you'll recall. And mm -hmm. I had been pestering an editor here, an editor there over the years, trying to you know, convince them, hey, this is a really awesome idea. I can have fun with this. And uh, they finally took pity on me. That or they just wanted me to shut up and let me do it. <laughs> and, okay, you can do it. Yeah, exactly. Maybe if I let him do it, he'll shut up. Um, and then once I had it written out of my system, I thought, okay, I, you know, that was a pretty fun ride, and, and I'll go on with the other uh, books that I get contracted to write. Like I mean, we were ramping up Seekers, and we were bringing the fall to a close, and I had been asked to write a next-gen book set after the fall. So I had a pretty full plate for a while. And then, um, uh, then we started talking about doing more ebook novellas. You know, and the way Margaret Clark describes those is she likes to pitch them as stories between the stories. So, you know, a little, right, value, right. little value added content between the bigger stories in the regular books. And at some point, somewhere along the line, I started thinking about, well, maybe I can revisit some of those characters in a, in a novella, you know, just a little short or a smaller bite mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I started putting ideas away as they occurred to me. And then one day, and this is how a lot of this happens. One day I'm, I'm cutting the grass. <laughs> nice and, you know you let your brain wander <laughs> while you're cutting the grass and i started stitching a couple of the ideas together and i thought well wait, wait a minute here there might just be a novel if i can come up with a coherent storyline to tie these somewhat disparate events together um so i played with it around for another month or so and then i finally talked to margaret about it I says i think i've got an idea for a follow-up and she's like okay well everybody liked the second one and it sold pretty well so we'll take a pitch for that one um or you know the first book did really well 
and uh, got decent reviews and people were happy with it. So um, they were receptive to a sequel. So there we are. That's that's so cool the the way that that things come together for you guys and and especially too I was really impressed with um you be able to fit in some new races that we hadn't seen especially in in the twenty third century and make that make sense for where you placed them and all of that uh, how did you come up with those two different races that we end up in the books that are kind of chasing each other uh through the past well the 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 original spark of the idea was the whole they're carrying the the genetic sequence or the or the you know the the, the cure to the disease. Did you get that from Man of Steel? No, not consciously, okay. but that doesn't mean I didn't, you know. Um but I start so I built outward from there. So, you know, obviously one race was was a was an enslaved race or an oppressed race, kind of like the the relationship between the Bajorans and the Cardassians. Mm-hmm. And then so once I started figuring that out, um that part was relatively straightforward. I mean, I didn't really have to uh, spend a lot of time figuring out the dynamics of those guys. It was more about, well, I mean, not so much the, the people that are chasing them, but I mean, definitely the three aliens that we spend a lot of time with on earth, you know, obviously I got into their backstory and their, and their people's backstory to try to, the biggest challenge for the book was to try not, it was to try to come up with a plot line that one made sense and two tied different time travel aspects together. And three was not a remedu of the first book. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and I didn't want it to be—I didn't want it to hopscotch around like I did in the first book. I did it, you know. I, I got all that out of my system the first time around. I wanted this one to be a little more straightforward, a little more linear, um, because I figure I've introduced the—I've introduced the premise. The you know the the reader gets the conceit now. I, I don't have to go through this all again. So that was the fun part. And then of course now we're at the point in the storyline on the on the on Earth that you know we're starting to dovetail with Greg Cox's eugenics wars books. Yes, and yes. Even though those are older books, and and there's an argument made that they don't necessarily fit into the the current continuity. I you know I took great pains to stay in step with those books because one, I'm a big fan of them, uh, and I think they're fun books. And I've always loved what he did with Gary Seven and Roberta Lincoln. So I definitely wanted to respect what he did and try to march in step with what he had laid down. So that's why Roberta gets a lot of the spotlight in these books versus Gary Seven. Mm-hmm. Um, try to give her a little more to do because she's by the time we see her in the eugenics wars books, you know, she's almost a full fledged agent like Gary seven. She just lacks the genetic uh, enhancements and, and necessarily the access to the cool secrets that he has, but she's definitely capable. So I wanted to play with that. Yeah. That was a really fun aspect of the book to me. I love when, uh, you know, the, I I don't want to say minor character, but like the, the secondary character kind of takes the lead there. and, And I thought that was really excellent. Um, kind of talking a little bit about something you mentioned is uh i i was kind of wondering where you would go with this book because after the first one it was like you had kind of touched on most if not all of the time travel episodes and that kind of thing and i was like oh what story could he possibly tell and it just goes to show why you're a novelist and i'm not because <laughs> you're able to think of these really great stories uh and in you know in ways that i wouldn't think are obvious so that was really really well done well, thank you. Well, I mean, like I, like you said, I I pretty much you know shot my wad as far as the time travel episodes in the first book, and um, and again, I didn't want it to be a redo of what I'd done in the first book, so that's why there's a lot more stuff that's not necessarily referenced in a in an episode or a film, even though I do take a few opportunities to 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 poke around some of the ones I didn't necessarily get to the first time around, mm-hmm. but I kind of try to do it in oblique fashion this time. Like, I mean, there's a reference to Star Trek Four, but 
I do it sort of slanted. I don't, I don't necessarily hit it head on. And then for some reason, the Voyager bit from Future's End just seems to be a common thread. I just love the way it ties together. The two, it actually ties the, the two books together, in my opinion, pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'll be able to pull that joke again if we do a book three, though. I'll have to come up with something <laughs> different. Well, one of the cool things, and, and this is something that I've seen uh, recently in a lot of the TOS work that we have been getting, is that the setting it in the um, you know the movie universe uh, you know, the movie time frame. So for you, what was it that made you go with, you know, more of the maroon jacket era than the kind of classic TOS? What about the characters spoke to you more about where they'd fit into this story? Well, a part of it, again, was, you know, not necessarily wanting to walk the same path that the first book took. So I thought, well, if I set this in a different part of the TOS timeline, that will automatically give me some separation. And of course, that point in the characters' lives, you know, they're they're much more mature, they're much more wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so and and their relationships are much different than they were during the original series. They're deeper, you know, um, particularly Kirk and Spock. So I, I enjoyed that the way that dynamic evolves over the course of the of their lifetimes. But and but again, yeah, just to try to give it something a, a different flavor, a different twist. And plus it was also fun because, you know, there's that meeting between Kirk and Roberta. And, you know, they, from her perspective, it was like a year since she last saw him. But from his perspective, it's 15 or 20 years since she, he last saw her. So there's jokes to be had there. You know, boy, you got old. You know, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> Poor Kirk is already starting to feel that. I know, so. right? I mean, he's, he's <laughs> yeah. going to get ready to get depressed for his birthday here in a little while um, uh, once Star Trek Two rolls around. Yeah, that was uh, – I don't really get to do a whole lot with the movie era versions of the characters. I think the last time I, I wrote anything – uh, at that point in their careers was, I want to say, all the way back to my first book, In the Name of Honor, which mm, was a movie-era yeah. book. And that was set after Star Trek V. So I don't think I've said anything in the movie-era since then. Other, I mean, this is the first time. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't feel old now. It, which is great, though, because <laughs> it's such a rich time period to, well, to be yeah, in with the characters. Uh, it's definitely not as well-mined as the series. Um it just you just have to kind of pick and choose where you're going to slot in because it seems like even though we go for the area that's not really mine, we all seem to migrate to certain slices of that period of time. Like okay, right before Star Trek Two, or right after Star Trek Five, or right after Star Trek Six, or you know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. like hey, there's years between these two movies. Why are we out here? Why are we all crowding around the bus stop when we could be out here somewhere? So I don't know. I think it's there's a, there's a desire to kind of rein in or you know bring in the familiar. It's an easy way to uh, to to refamiliarize somebody who may not be up to speed on all this stuff. So, well, kind of uh, again, going back to something you said there about you know the crew and 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 you know the characters kind of encountering each other at different points in their in their lives. Uh, I'm kind of catching up on a lot of nerdy stuff, so I'm just now kind of watching Doctor Who and stuff, and it really reminded me of a lot of the plot points they do in that show, uh, where you know the Doctor encounters people. Uh, kind of sometimes backwards in their lives going, you know, he's going one way, the other person's going the other way. Uh, I was kind of wondering, you know, what's it like kind of trying to keep that all straight about who has met whom and when, and and when all of that happens. Well, thankfully there's Wikipedia and memory alpha and memory. (laughs) Um, I mean, I can rely, I can rely on my memory to some degree, but um, it's always nice to have a second source, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, but you'll go into your Dr. Who example. That's actually a really good one because, uh, 
I remember watching just, you know, a few years ago when it was, was it, was it David Tennant's doctor or Matt Smith's doctor who encounters Sarah Jane? Uh, David Tennant. Was it David yeah. Tennant? It was still the David mm-hmm. Tennant's doctor. And then, they, of course, they spun her off into another show, um, which I thought was really cool because I'm a long time old school Doctor Who fan. So particularly the third and fourth era. So seeing that definitely hit all my nostalgia buttons. So, so yeah, stuff like that. I, I mean, the idea of being able to revisit a character or, you know, like an older version or a younger version of your character meets up with somebody and the other person hasn't changed. There's just a lot of fun to be had when you're doing a time travel story. Why not? Right. I mean, it's not like any other scientific principles haven't been bent all to hell. We might as well just break them all. They might as well have a little fun. Well, and, and was that a great little Doctor Who reference where you talked about how Britain having their own problems with a, a lot of aliens? I have no idea what you could be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I was like, "Oh, that's so brilliant!" I, you Just know, what, I, I, yeah. If I get, if I can slide in a reference like that, particularly in a book like this, it seems like in a book like this, I get more latitude, or you know, you, the author gets more latitude when we're doing something like this because there's just, how can you not make a reference like that? How can you be standing there and all the dominoes are aligned just perfectly, and you don't pull the trigger on that joke? I just, I don't. I couldn't resist it, which is probably why, you know, we can't have nice things. I'm, I'm, I'm the one that's going to do that. I made, <laughs> well, no, I, made, I know I made a Doctor Who reference. I know I made a Warehouse 13 or a Eureka reference. Mm-hmm. What else did I slide in there? War of the Worlds, I think, got a little nod. Um, Definitely uh, a little X-Files, too. There was some X-Files, and there was, I think there was even a Planet of the Apes reference in there somewhere. Hmm. Um, and then my favorite one is I even managed to slide a Hunt for Red October reference in. Yes, so, you did. Oh, that yeah, was awesome. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't like have a list like, okay, hit all these, but it just seemed like I'd be riding along and then somewhere I'm like, hey, I'm, I've got it set during this time frame. Can I make that reference? And of course, I go do the research and it all lined up. So I'm like, okay, I'm doing it. <laughs> I figure if I can sneak 10 of them in and they pull, you know, they might catch five and the other five will slide through. So no, actually they, they were okay with all of them. I don't think they, they don't, I don't think I got ding on any of them this time around. The first book, yeah, they did rein me in a couple times. They said I'd gone too far, <laughs> too far for <laughs> I'm like, you let Greg do it for three whole books. That is something that I kind of love about this book, though, is it It almost feels a little bit like Kirk's X-Files adventures. Um, like, he keeps randomly getting pulled into these time periods where, you know, uh, people are looking into these extraterrestrial you know, people on Earth and all that. And I really, I just enjoy, I guess, our characters being back in those time periods. And I th- I thought it, to me, it just, it works so well. I always thought that an X-Files crossover with Doctor Who or Star Trek during the X, with X-Files as the driver for the crossover. In other words, they encounter whatever it is that's the crossing over element, not they're pulled mm-hmm. into the Star Trek universe, but the other way around. So I think that's always been one of those fanboy ideas that I keep in the back of my head. Like, well, okay, if they ever, if the opportunity to ever pitch something like that comes up, I will take it. <laughs> I figure the worst they can say is no, right? That sounds like one of those, uh, the, one of the comic book crossovers. You know, they've yeah. done Doctor Who and they've done um, Planet of the Apes. They've done Green Lantern. So why, and you know, uh, we just did the... Uh, Legion of Superheroes. Yep. Why not do an X Files crossover? So an IDW, I yeah, an IDW has it. both licenses, so you know you never know. There I mean, you go. I when they had the Doctor Who license, I I I had talked to people. I was like, what are the odds that they might go for a Gary Seven, third or fourth Doctor crossover set in the seventies? What are my chances? <laughs> like, you know, 
well, your chances suck because you don't write comics, but I'll take your idea. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, but of course, then of course they lost the license or, you know, the license ended and it went to Titan. So, um, you know, uh, the road not taken, I guess. So, but the X-Files one, eh, you never know. That would, uh, that would be really great. And oh, yeah. one of the things that you were, you were talking about was the idea of giving, you know, Roberta Lincoln more screen time and, and really allowing her to be able to do some more things. And what were some of the things that you really enjoyed being able to to use that character, being able to add to that character, and and kind of her uh, mythos in in the Star Trek storyline. Well, I can have more fun. You can have more fun with her because she's more, you know, she's definitely not buttoned down and prim and proper like Gary Seven is. So she she mouths off right. to the computer and she mouths off to whomever, and then you know she's got her own way of interacting with the computer uh, versus Gary Seven, who's much more formal and composed and you know mature. <laughs> you know she's she'll mouth she'll you know she'll she'll give the computer the business when it's not giving her what she needs um and then of course the my, i think my favorite part in the book with her was the car uh her convertible <laughs> yes. her, her mustang convertible i always wanted a mustang convertible <laughs> so it's like my Me dream too. car so uh, yeah those new ones i see them on the road and no, i'm like mine would uh, have to be a 64 65 uh, just like you know that's oh yeah that I would, would be want, nice but, um yep and that's so in my head, she's that's you know, that's what I'm like. I see her drive, I saw her driving that, so I said, Okay, let's have some fun with this. And then, of course, it lent itself to the joke about whether or not Kirk can drive. Uh, yes, you know, there's <laughs> been some debate, so um, that was a great line. Yeah, and every, every, everybody thinks I was going for the 2009 joke, and I thought, Well, yeah, I guess so, but in reality, it was piece of the action. But oh, um, yeah. Yeah. I guess it bo- it works for both. I mean, if 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 the reader re- gets to that line and decides that you know he would pre- he or she would prefer it going to the other reference, who am I? You know, have fun with it. As long as you laugh at the line, I did my job. Well, one thing I notice a lot in your bo- books, and it's kind of for lack of a better term, there's kind of a Dayton Ward cheekiness that comes through, and it's definitely on full display in this book. Um, I loved some of the just the little throwaway lines or little uh, one-offs like talking about chasing certain people in India and that needs a couple of books to be told. <laughs> I forgot about that line. <laughs> that was great. I almost felt like the ebook version should have a little footnote link there to like go to a page where you can purchase the Eugenics Wars because that was perfect. I completely forgot about that line. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. Hey, way to go. That's not bad. I, I should keep that one. <laughs> Um, like I said, I'm a huge fan of the first two eugenics wars books in particular. Um, I, when they, when I first heard they were, that Greg was writing them way back when, I mean, I was still very fresh at all this. I think I had just sold my third strange new worlds story, or I may have even gotten the contract for name of honor. But when I heard it, he was writing those books. I was supremely jealous. (laughs) I wanted to hunt him down and kill him. Um, so I've always been a fan of those, and I like the other stuff that he's done that's sort of kind of halfway, if you squint, ties into it, like The Rings of Time and and a couple of other novels that he did. Um, there's like a little mini universe within the universe that he's put together, and uh, so it's kind of fun to flirt with it when I write the, the History Shadow books. Yeah, well, I mean, it definitely feels like these are tied right into that mini universe, and you know, you're kind of almost creating a little mini universe yourself with, with these books here. Like, it's really becoming a... Uh, you know, especially if we get another one of these novels, which, you know, hint, hint, I really hope we do because, you know, I, I love seeing you play around in the sandbox. It's a lot of fun. Well, the trick is what to do differently the next time. Cause you know, it's like, okay, how many, how many different times can we do X, Y, Z? So if I, if I, if I, if I do another one that ties it all into any of the secret society, secret organization stuff, I'm definitely going to have to stretch the idea a little bit. 
Um, I have some ideas. <laughs> this is see, this is where I'm thinking that you can grab um, some characters from maybe different series that have links to some of these organizations that we talk about and um, find a way to make them all play in the same sandbox uh, a little bit like Greg Cox did where Seven and, you know, uh, Captain Kirk meets. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, so. not, it's not necessarily limited to Captain Kirk either. I mean, you know, we could... We have other crews and ships out there that need a little love once in a while, so maybe one of those, yes, maybe those one do. of those crews can uh, step to the step in. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I obviously I didn't write the first book with the sequel in mind. I did write this one with the idea that there could be a follow up. I mean, if you get to the last line and you're not asking me where book three is, I did something wrong. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to. I don't know how to say it any more plainly than that. Turn to the back of the book and read the last page. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I, no, I would definitely like to write another one, and I definitely have an idea of where to take that thread that I dropped on you guys right on the last page. I definitely uh, would love to see where that goes, mm -hmm. uh, particularly since there's a lot of things about that, no spoilers, um, particularly because things that tie into what I put on that last page are being built in the other direction coming backward even a little bit. So it's like, okay, mm -hmm. now the challenge is to make it all tie together and make it all make sense and still have some fun with it. Well, that's really exciting because I kind of was thinking of that last line also when I was kind of uh, thinking about the cheekiness of the book. And it's it's really, it's it's even more exciting to learn that, you know, it isn't just a throwaway. There's there's a real kind of thread there that I'm really excited to to learn more about. I had that line in the outline. I, I, I mean, I wrote that almost verbatim from the outline. And, I, and then um, I think I wrote the last scene I didn't write it first, but I wrote it very early in the writing of the book. Like just one day I decided I had gotten my writing quota for the day done, but I still had some energy and I decided to write that last scene uh, just so I could have it. And so, and it was actually, it kind of helped write the rest of the book because now I had the endpoint firmly established and all I had to do was just knit it all together. So um, no, I had, I had had that line in, in from the jump. In fact, that was one of the early ideas that I had been tossing around even before this became a book was, I would love to weave that thread or weave that, you know, weave that story together somehow. I know we're being spoiler free for the sake of people who haven't read the book yet. And that's cool. So well, let's just have to read the book. That's right. They will. But I, I let's do this, Dayton. Let's warn everybody that if you haven't read this book, we're about to get into some serious spoiler territory. Spoiler, because I, spoiler, I think it spoiler. Would, yeah, exactly. Spoilers. Exactly. Remiss if we did not ask you about your thought process behind you know you've created all of these super secret historical um organizations that have worked you know ones that you created for the book or ones that have actually existed putting all that together to to all these clandestine organizations and how it all links to again huge spoiler alert so if you haven't read the book do not listen but linking to section 31 and has this, I mean, was this like the plan all along? Because to me, I was like, oh my God, my brain just exploded. <laughs> I don't know that it was my plan all along, but at some point, I think there was a comic book that came out from IDW years ago where I don't know that they even came out and said it in stark language, but they implied that the organization that became 31 had existed in some form or another going back to the 20th century. So they didn't, I don't, I don't know that they actually came out and said Roswell or they said Blue Book or anything like that, but I was talking to Margaret about it and I said, 
Sex and 31 is blue book. And she was like, you can't, you can't, she kept, she kept back and forth on me for like a half an hour over email. You can't reference the JJ movies because she, you know, she was, she was thinking I was talking about a JJ comic book. And I'm like, no, 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 it was a next gen book. It was a, it was like one of the very first miniseries IDW did when they picked up the license. It was called, uh, I want to say the, the miniseries was called Intelligence Gathering. Does that sound Oh, right? yes, yes. Yeah, we've read that on the show. The yep. last issue of that miniseries, there's like a panel where Picard is talking to the bad guy, and there's this warehouse with all this stuff in it. And he implies that, you know, 31 has been around for centuries, dating back even before, you know, you know, the, the Federation and before the Vulcans and first contact and all of that stuff. And uh, I didn't think much of it when the miniseries was out. I mean, I read the issue and then I forgot about it. And then we're casting about and she was asking me what I was going to do with the book. And I said, and hang on, hang on, hang on. And, you know, because you know how your idea of brain, your brain starts to pull it threads and you, you don't want to mess up the rhythm while you're trying to pull the thought together. And then I went and dug up on my shelf and I found it. I says, they don't actually come out and say it, but I think 31 should grow out of you know, whatever happened at Roswell. And uh, she said, okay, go with that if you can come up with an outline. So that's why I created, you know, a fictional, I think it's fictional, um, you know, the, the successor to Blue Book is the Cygnus project. And then of course they just dispense with names altogether uh, by the end of my second book, you know, but they're just working in section 31. So of course, you know, dun, dun, dun is the idea. So now everybody, we know that, you know, okay, these are noble intentions, but it's going to go to crap here in about 150 years. So, you know, and what happens in, you know, what happens at that point in about 60 or 70 years from the point of view of those characters? Well, hey, the Vulcans come calling, and then, of course, people are going to freak out, and then we'll see what happens after that. I, I think kind of pinpointing one of the reasons I enjoy stories like this so much is that it really does tie our world into, you know, this fictional world that I've loved for my as long as I can remember. And, you know, so anything that kind of brings us closer to them and, and, you know, making those connections, I think that that's really exciting. And yeah, I'm really excited to see where that goes from here. Thank you. I feel the same way. I mean, I've, I've and I've always been a fan of the Gary seven Roberta Lincoln premise. I, I realize that it may not be the best hour of star Trek and, uh, but I've always been intrigued by the potential of the premise. And I mm. wish they had. And it's funny because of all the properties that Roddenberry created or developed or thought about, they got mined for TV episodes and stuff back in the 90s. This one never materialized again in any form, which is odd to me because of the, all the stuff that they ended up developing, this was the one that interested me the most. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I've always been a fan of it. And like I said, I was very jealous of Greg when he got to do the, the eugenics books. Um, so it's fun to be able to find new ways to go back to that period. I think I've out, I've run out of I've run out of century to go back to. So now I'm in, now I'm stuck basically mining in the you know the early 21st century leading up to maybe when the Vulcans show up. So I'm gonna have to make up a lot more. Damn, um, I can't I can't I can't <laughs> use history as a crutch anymore. So. Well, that's uh, what was really neat about that was just this um, connection with. You know, Section 31 is starting off as an organization, these kind of unseen protectors who are there because they know that there is more out there and the public isn't ready for it yet. You know, this this planet's not ready for that information. And they really are there to try and protect the planet. See, to me, that was that was always the fascinating bit was, okay, these, these guys have good intentions. They're noble. They, they want to be noble protectors. And in truth, that's the way Section 31 was portrayed. 
they started off with the best of intentions. And then because of lack of accountability and oversight, they grew into something that wasn't intended. Um, so to me, showing it how, it how it all started with the most noble of intentions is a fascinating idea. Now, whether I get to be the guy that does that or I just lay enough seeds that somebody else can you know, pick it up and run with it at some point, I really don't care. Um, I would like to be the guy to do it, but there's certainly enough there for more than one person to take a stab at. So I don't know, maybe Greg and I'll team up and do something. Who knows? Oh, that would be kind of fun. Give you guys uh, a little series to do back and forth. That's that's a good I idea. I don't know if it's worth its own series, but you know, it's it's fun to go back to this, you know, um, every so often, and 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 it, it's definitely a nice change of pace for me because it seems like a lot of the books that I do are tied into either a series or an overarching storyline. So it's fun to uh, break away and do something just for me once in a while. Well, and, and what's what's fun about it, I think, for the readers is that same thing. I, I think we enjoy having those stories where you can pick up and you don't feel like you need to have read like three other books <laughs> to get it, you know? And I, I think that's a that's a really smart move just in general for all of us because I love to be able to just pick up, you know, In History Shadow or this one, Elusive Salvation. And yes, if you had read uh, In History Shadow, this one makes more sense, but I didn't have to have it. I could have still just picked up Elusive Salvation and really enjoyed it. I think um, I think we've talked about it before. Uh, you know, I, I view every book as a potential uh, ambassador for a new reader, someone new to the line. I mean, that's, that's my personal viewpoint on the whole process is I think every book should, should be inviting enough that a new person who's never read any of them before should be able to, to at least understand what they need to get through that one story. And if we did our jobs right, then they're fascinated enough by the whole thing to go back and find anything that might connect to it. That's the goal. That's my goal. Now, and if I was the editor, that would be the mandate, but you know, so, so it's just, you know, Dayton's, Dayton's preference as far as that goes. Um, yeah, I, I think every book should serve as a as an ambassador to the entire line, and that means you have to you have to incorporate a little bit of you know revisiting of or recapping, and that's a balancing act. Sometimes it can go too far the other way, and I'm probably as guilty as anyone on occasion of of falling into that trap. But if my choice is courting the new reader or going shorthand for the sake of someone who's been reading all the books for 30 years, I'm gonna air on the side of the new reader because I'm always trying to grow that audience. I'm trying to do what I can to grow that audience. So I suspect that the hardcore fans will support me in that. Mm. Yeah. I think Dayton's uh, prime directive is, is a wise one because I mean, even, and I know Dan can attest to this. You might, might've been reading the books for 20 years, but the, you still forget things. So I, I mean, what I had for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So, you know, I, 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 my joke used to be I write these as if my mom was going to read them and mm -hmm. she, she would never read. She would never read, you know, a series of Star Trek novels, not not like four or five, you know, volume miniseries or anything like that. That would get in the way of, of you know, cozy mysteries and Harlequin romances that she that she loved. Um, but she'd read mine, you know, so I'm like, OK, I got to write I got to write this so that she can understand all that crap that's going on in the other books, too. Um, so that was my, that was always my go-to joke. Yeah. I write them for my mom, you know, cause she hates Star Trek. So, um, no, I just, I just, I think it's, uh, I think it's important when you, when you, particularly when you do something like this, which is, you know, people take this stuff very seriously and they invest a lot of time and effort in, 
in it in it and i think it should be it should definitely be worth the eight bucks that somebody's going to drop on it um but i think it should also be you know definitely a handout or an on-ramp for someone who's never read a star trek book before you know they could come out of a movie or watch the new tv series or watch a rerun and they go you know i think i'm gonna try one of those books and if they pick up one of mine and they don't know what the hell they're doing then i have failed the line running like the website and doing you know book reviews like i do i i often get emailed that question like can i just pick this book up or what should i read before this that kind of thing and and you know a lot of a lot of the authors kind of do that and you especially you know i know i can tell them like well you might benefit from reading this this and this but if you just want to read this book yeah like you'll be fine don't worry about it jump right in and if you like it here's other books you can read kind of thing so you know it's kind of it's reassuring to know that that's always an option it's, well thank you i mean like i said it's um it's kind of like you know i, I mean obviously you're going to get more if you read the other books in a particular series or if you read the preceding volumes in a miniseries obviously you're going to get it's like watching a serialized drama but you should be able to jump into an episode of a serialized drama and get everything you need to get through that story and then it should interest you enough to go back and find what you missed i mean uh, if the writers are doing their job correctly so i mean it's i, I used to equate it to reading like when we were doing uh, the miniseries or the ongoing storylines you know watching something like the west wing uh you know, every episode is a, is a, is a, has a self-contained storyline, but it also has threads reaching back, you know, as many as a dozen episodes, but the re you know, a casual watcher and a long time watcher can still get entertainment out of that same episode. If the writers have done their job correctly. One of the things that I, I really liked, um, is that you had, uh, a really interesting theme running throughout this book with, uh, the Emerald, um, and I think I'm saying that the name correctly. So, um, but this the the idea of them finding the thing that gives them hope and that helps them survive, and also fight back their oppressors and win their freedom. And it just it really struck me in a world that you know we we live in that's so cynical, um. That that really what's needed for a a life that's going to to be lived and and to survive is one that has some kind of hope that there is a better tomorrow, and I just, I really liked that about the book uh, because as fun as it is, I thought, wow, that's a that's a really nice and and a very Star Trek message for how we make it to the future. I. Thank you. Um, I yeah, I definitely, I definitely think it's a Star Trek. It's the type of story that Star Trek does well. I mean, obviously they have, they have their missteps in that regard, but it's the kind of story that that is definitely suited for Star Trek. Um, you know, I I'm not big on uh, doom and gloom storylines. I'm not looking for a way to kill a character. I'm not looking for a way to introduce a lot of. I mean, drama is necessary, and, and and I will use it to drive the, the storyline, but I'm not looking to piss everybody off at the end of the book. I'm not looking to kill a favorite character or blow up a ship or or leave it on a downer note. You know, I, I prefer – that's necessarily a happy ending, but a hopeful ending. So, yeah, um, I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, that's just my preferred way of, out, of, of doing that. To me, that's what separates Star Trek from a lot of science fiction is the fact that its overarching message is one of hope. So I think that's why it's still relevant, and I think that's what sets it apart from a lot of science fiction. 
Well, I had a a kind of, um, I guess, a really surprise question that I wanted to ask you. You know, you've been working with Star Trek books for a long time, and this is the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. And, you know, it's going to be a big celebration this year with Star Trek books uh, with a couple of series coming out. And I just, I thought it would be fun um, to get some opinions from the, the different authors about, you know, when somebody asks you, uh, what are some Star Trek books, you know, maybe you're five that you might recommend to people that you're like, you know what, uh, I love this book, this book, this book, and this book, and you, you'll love it too, uh, and it'll make you want to keep reading Star Trek books, and so kind of thought in a, the celebration of the 50th, that'd be a fun question to start asking the authors this year. Oh, wow, that's not a pressure question at all, <laughs> is it? Um, only five? Wow. Um well, I wanted to try and make it easy on you, uh, so. <laughs> well, I mean, there's probably some standards um, that I'm sure you'll hear more than once if you if you ask writers, particularly if they're like me and they've been around. I keep I know it makes me sound old when I say this, but I mean, I've been reading the Star Trek novels that Pocket has put out since the first one. I mean, I I bought the novelization for the first movie, you know, the nice. same day I saw the movie, and then I've. I was a regular buyer of the books all through the eighties. In fact, I had, I had just started getting bored of the books <laughs> in the night <laughs> when all of a sudden <laughs> strange new worlds came along and all this other stuff came along and kind of freshened the pot a little bit. And that's awesome. And so it was, it's, it's, it's funny how that happens. I mean, that, but I mean, I was, I was reading the Bantam books in the seventies and, and the Blish novelizations and the Foster novelizations and, I mean, I go all the way back, so um, there's a lot to choose from. If I was going to pick five, just five, I would start with uh, Prime Directive. By mm, Peter Garvey great Stevens. book. And since we're there, you might as well throw Federation on that pile. Uh, mm-hmm, I think nice. those are two fun books. The Entropy Effect by Vonda McIntyre is one of my all-time favorite Star Trek novels. Uh, in fact, there was, there was an article that just got passed around it's an older article, but it was just getting passed around the other day about the women writers of Star Trek novels from the eighties. Um, and so that reminded me about the entropy effect. And then, um, Anne Crispin's yesterday, Sun and time for yesterday. Do those count as one or two choices? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just count that as one. Count that as one. So I still got two, right? And then if you're an original series fan, I will recommend Dave Mack's first Vanguard book, Harbinger. Uh, oh, good call. Yeah, it's a bit self-serving, obviously. So, <laughs> um, I love the whole Vanguard storyline. It's one of the most fun things I've ever done. Um, and then if you want something to kind of give a taste, of, and you realize, and obviously I'm slanting toward original series. Um, so one more. Let's see. You know what? Just for just to change it up, I would recommend A Stitch in Time by Andrew Robinson, the DS9 book. Mm, yeah um only as much as much about the way that book came together as as what he ended up with i mean the effort that he put into developing the backstory for his character and the notes that andrew robinson kept all through the making of the show and all through the development and the evolution of his character he kept copious notes detailed notes about the backstory of garrick and all of that went into writing that novel um which to me is just a phenomenal uh, bit of effort on his part. I mean, it just shows a commitment mm-hmm. to the process and the craft that um, I don't know is that common. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right. It, you know, I, I the fact that 
that he would go to such effort and you know it it really shows a love for the character beyond what you normally see in in television i mean people in, in a lot of shows they love their characters that's great um but you know to to sit down take notes for yourself on I mean, who not you just are. notes but just you know like yeah. inside your inside your character's head notes <laughs> yes I mean, it's one yes. thing to jot down a couple of ideas that you want to throw to writer or director on a set but it's another thing to develop these fictional missives that take place between his character and bashir that have no purpose they you know they'll never you'll never see this conveyed on film but he goes to that effort to to do that just so that he can give a more nuanced and informed performance and give every you know get every scrap uh of, of F, you know you can you can just every little bit he can get on camera you can see that you can see the commitment you can see the evolution you can see the work he's put in developing that character and even if he never gets a chance to show off what he's been doing obviously the work pays off mm-hmm. nobody can play that character the way andrew robinson played that character and so it, just just for that and and what and what we got to appreciate afterwards that book deserves to be read by everybody it's not just a good start. Yeah. It's not yeah. Good in fact, it's you're just reminding me, we need to do that mm-hmm. on the show too. We need to get that one in because that is a great book. Yeah, definitely. I, it's long been one of my favorites for sure. That's uh, I hadn't thought of it really until you suggested it for your, your top five there. That's, that's excellent. That's just off the top of my head. I mean, if we, if we were going to go back and if I was going to start looking at my shelves, then, you know, that would, then we would probably change those things four or five times, but that'll do for now. <laughs> Perfect. No, I think that's that's great. That's that's awesome. And I, I just, you know, a, as a spur of the moment question, unfortunately, you were the guinea pig, uh, okay. and everybody else will know that it's coming now, um, and they'll probably be going through their list coming. But I loved the spontaneity uh, because you know it's a huge celebration. Fifty years that this thing has lasted is is pretty incredible. And I think when I think back, you know, the fact that Enterprise ended so long ago now, I mean, it's, it's been a long time. 11 years. And, yeah, wow, and yeah. it the books, I think, in a lot of ways have been the things that have been keeping the fans' interest and giving us the opportunity to still explore this universe and care about these characters. And so what you guys are, have been doing is just as important, really, as everything that's been happening and happened uh, in what we got, you know, uh, in, in all of those seasons of Star Trek and all of those films. And, uh, now we've got a new series coming out next year and, uh, we're, we, we, we have some more to celebrate, you know, we have, we'll have a new character, new crews for new books to happen with. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I, I'm hopeful that the show is successful enough that it spawns you know uh, that it creates opportunities for people like me to do some sort of tie-in work um i'm excited i'm excited by the idea i'm very excited because of the people involved you know the people that they've announced that are involved um i'm very excited by that i feel i have a, I have, a, I have a great feeling just in the pit of my stomach that this is gonna if it fails it won't be for lack of trying and it won't be for, yeah you know what i mean um i mean you can't ask for more dedicated people than brian fuller and Nicholas Meyer for crying out loud. I don't, I don't know what people want if they can't find a way to be happy about the fact that these two gentlemen are involved in the show. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to respond to that when I see negativity. I'm just like, I can't, you've got your wish list. I mean, you, you, you know, all we, you know, the, the moment that enterprise was canceled, people were talking about the next show or a reboot or a retake. And the, and the, the one of the first two names that got rattled off was Brian Fuller. 
as a person who could come back and revitalize it. And Ronald Moore was probably the other one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they're both excellent choices. And I would love to see, you know, of course, you know, the dream job would be to see both of those guys back together working on something like this. But, you know, Ron Moore has definitely got his hands full with the stuff he's working on now. Um, but I'm excited about Brian Fuller's involvement. Um, you know, this is a guy that basically won the lottery for Star Trek. He, 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 he came on board after submitting a spec script that got picked up. And he spun it into a full-blown career, you know, and he's got a long list of things he's done well that have received critical acclaim. And so he's not just a one-note guy. I think it's an excellent choice. I think it's a fantastic uh, choice to have him headlining this thing. And Nicholas yeah. Meyer, I don't even know how you can be upset by Nicholas Meyer. Oh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, not at all. comes from. That's like another universe. I'm like, uh... My, but what cracks me up is when I read stuff on the internet about, you know, well, it's gonna, it must be going to be taking a cue from something, something because Nicholas Myers involved, as if that's the only thing that man is capable of doing. I'm like, yeah. the guy's resume is as long as my arm for crying out loud. So I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I've, I probably derive far more amusement than is healthy by reading the complaints of people who just have to have some reason to be negative. <laughs> Yes. Yes. That's that's the only way to deal with that and remain sane, I think. Because if, oh man, some of the negativity out there, it's just mind-blowing. That's why I post some of the things I do on Facebook and Twitter. It's just my way of going, I can't believe I just read that. (laughs) So so I I have my bit of fun. Um, I've been, you know, I've been tapped as the irreverent Star Trek writer. So, or I mean, I've been labeled the irreverent Star Trek writer, apparently, by some people. I'm like, I don't take it seriously enough or whatever. I'm like, I take it incredibly seriously. It's like Kirk's line from Tribbles, right? I think of this as very important. It is you I take lightly. <laughs> uh, so I, yeah, I want it all to work. I want every book to be a bestseller. I want every movie to make a billion dollars. Um, you know, I want every television episode to be the top ranked TV show. I just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm still at heart a huge fan of star trek i just got i just got lucky is all and mm. so it kind of bugs me when hardcore supposed hardcore fans can't do anything but be negative about this stuff yeah so. well irreverent star trek author i i mean i think i would wear that as a badge of honor because <laughs> they're like well, how do you feel about that well how do you think i feel about that <laughs> like, yeah. if i fit the label what you then you have your answer <laughs> um, I, I don't know i just i, I if, if people could look at my home office it is a testament to fandom nerdity in, in my home office. I'm not in there right now, but which is why I had to go from memory on the book titles. But um, <laughs> if I was in there, I mean, it's it's wall to wall. Star Trek books, comics, science fiction novels, posters, tchotchkes, figures, models. You know, it's like an oversized Hallmark cubicle. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I just I don't know. I just uh, it it kind of bugs me because this is a time when we should be. We should be, you know, it's like you said, it's been 50 years since the original show and we're still talking about Star Trek and I'm still, I can't, it's been 50 years and I can't wait to be at a theater on opening night for a new Star Trek film. Here, here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Same here. Well, Dayton. um, Okay. So we had Elusive Salvation come out. Uh, What is coming next for you in the world of Star Trek books and then everything else that you're working on? Well, I've been, I've been a busy little guy. Um, uh, April was a was a pretty pretty busy month. Um, the Elusive Salvation came out last month. I also had a short story come out in an anthology called Twenty One Thirteen uh, Stories Inspired by the Music of Rush, 
Um, Dave Mack also has a story in that volume as well because we're both huge Rush fans. So that was kind of a dream gig. Uh, it was edited by Kevin J. Anderson. And he asked us if we would write a story based on a Rush song. So obviously we said yes, because uh, how do you turn down a, an offer like that? Um, I did a Mars Attacks novella uh, that, that was uh, sort of a, uh, a it's actually written as a Kickstarter reward for all the people who funded a new Mars Attacks card set. So um, I worked with a guy named Adam Levine. Yes, his name is Adam Levine, but not the, not the other guy. Um, and so I got to write a Mars Attacks storyline because I'm also a huge nerd for Mars Attacks. And then, uh, but as far as coming up for Star Trek for me, the next one is going to be the Vulcan Travel Guide uh, from Inside. Yes. You may have seen that we one. Were, Bandy we were just looking at some pictures of that uh, last week on the show yeah, um, that uh, Star Trek.com put out. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm starting to get some questions now because people are actually reading the print on the pages. And they're like, what the hell is that about? Um <laughs> The book was written to be very much um, – I don't want to say tongue-in-cheek or a parody because it's not. It's not a parody, and it's not meant to be a comedy book, but there's definitely some tongue-in-cheek humor scattered throughout the book. Um, it's very conver- it's very casual, very conversational, just like a real travel guide would be. So it's not a hardcore – it's not like a role-playing game reference or a technical manual or anything like that. It's definitely much more uh, casual than that, and I was I was not only encouraged, I was – um, basically told <laughs> by the folks at CBS, have fun with this. I said, okay, I'll do that. And they actually had to rein me in a little bit because I think I may have gone off the reservation a couple of times. Um, but it was a lot of fun to write. Uh, definitely a different kind of writing for me. And the most fun I had with that project was working with the art artists and the graphic and the layout designers to to put the book together. Because if as you can see by the sample pages, it's pretty eye catching. Yeah, um, it's beautiful. I had never worked on a book like that that was so art heavy. Um, so I learned a great deal about the process of putting a book like this together. So for me, that was a huge win as far as uh, what I took away from that project. Um, there may be more books of a similar bent, depending on how well this does. Never know. We have other planets to visit, apparently. Um, Star, Trek, Star Trek's got a few, I hear. Um, <laughs> So, and then uh, this, the, my next Star Trek project for that is, uh, is the is the third book in the Legacies trilogy that I that I wrote with Kevin Dilmore. Um, that'll be out in September. Uh, in fact, it's the September book, so we're right there in the pole position as far as you know celebrating 50th anniversary stuff. Um, it'll be the third book in a trilogy. Uh, the first two books are written by Greg Cox and Dave Mack, and it's all a story that we all put together, the four of us, um, you know, and went back and forth on each other's storylines to make it all tie together. Um, the first two covers, I think, have been released. I'm sorry. I think you know the second cover was just released either yesterday or the day before. Um, I don't know if it was officially released, but somehow it got posted somewhere. And then, of course, you know how social media works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody found it on a website, and then you know it was the book cover seen around the world. Um, I don't know if there's been an official intro to the cover from StarTrek.com. We usually wait. Uh, these days, uh, StarTrek.com um, gets first dibs at introducing stuff like this. Um, so we kind of hold back and take our cues from them. So um, even though we may see it, uh, you know, ahead of that, you know, we're we're asked to not uh, go blabbing all over Twitter or whatever until StarTrek.com gets a chance to drop it. Uh, yeah, we just got uh, David Mack's book in the series. Yeah. Uh, that came out. And so um, I was looking today to see if, if your and Kevin's cover have been if, released yet. If we hold it's to not the on the website yet. This so. time next month, probably it looks. I mean, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. I think they've been they've been spaced. The first two were spaced about a month apart. Uh, I'd have to go back and look, but um, they usually will do that. They'll usually 
space them out a month or so. Uh, you know, there's like so many months ahead of its publication, they'll drop the cover, that kind of thing. So I don't think we're quite there yet for, for book three. In fact, I've just, I got to turn in some final queries uh, on our manuscript that got sent to us by a proofreader. I have to deliver those back to the, to the editor uh, tonight or tomorrow. Um, and so that'll be out in September. And then for me, the next book for me for Star Trek, it'll be out next year. It's another next generation book called Headlong Flight. And I just turned the manuscript in two weeks ago. And in fact, I got editor's notes back from it yesterday that I'm trying to address before the weekend. Um, even as I rush toward a looming deadline on another project that's due on Friday. So, um, and then once I'm done with those, there's an outline to be revised for another Star Trek novel that will come out later, either end of 2017 or early 2018. I don't know yet, uh, with the, but it's, it's another next generation book. It'll be, and it'll be set after John Jackson Miller's Prey trilogy. Oh, awesome. And Headlong Flight. It'll, it, the, the, the sequence is Armageddon's Arrow, his Prey trilogy, Headlong Flight, and then my book to be named later. Unless, you know, somebody else slides in with another trilogy that makes me completely rework all my timetables and schedules and, and talk about <laughs> where the characters need to go. Um, I, I tease John about it a couple of times because they've done it. To, he's done it to me twice now. Um, he didn't obviously do it on purpose. It was just the way it happened. You know, I wrote Peaceable Kingdoms and I set up Picard and the Enterprise to go explore, right? And then I was told, you're going to write Armageddon. You're going to write a book to be that story. Okay, great. And then in the middle of my writing it, here comes John sliding in between the two of us with takedown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so everything I had to do with the Enterprise and Picard and everything had to be reworked a little bit to accommodate for takedown. And then the uh, same half thing. I wrote an outline for, for what became Headlong Flight. And then all of a sudden, here comes John again with a trilogy this time with, you know, the, with the, and I'm like, ah, oh, they're, you know, uh, they're eight weeks, you know, you understand they're eight weeks away. <laughs> You know, in, in based on where I left them at the end of this book. So how are you going to cover that? So if you wonder why the timeline skips ahead a lot, it's because it's you know it's it's a four month round trip to get them out and back. Uh, so I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to be at the we're going to have to decide what we're going to do about the Hobus Supernova at some point, I guess. Well, I kid. Oh, I man, kid. I kid. I said I, I said <laughs> that just to rile up. Trek fans everywhere. Just went, what? <laughs> <laughs> 10 seconds after this drops on iTunes, they'll be yammering about the Hobo Supernova. <laughs> um, I know that, that that question comes up a lot, and um, I honestly have no idea how or even if it will be addressed in the books. Um, and it's mostly a, it's mostly due to a licensing issue, the fact that the JJ Flicks are under their own little licensing agreement. So anything that is referenced in those movies, we're not allowed to, to directly reference. So... Um, at least that's the current mark. That's the current marching orders. Now that could change. And if it does, you know, fine. If not, we'll figure something out. Well, Dayton, uh, where are the different places that people can, uh, find you online and interact with you about, uh, you know, loose of salvation or any of the other things that, uh, you've been working on? Uh, I'm on Reddit and you porn. No, I'm not. No, no, wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, obviously Daytonmore.com is the is a nice starting place. That's uh the the portal that will take you to uh my Facebook page and my Twitter feed and my blog and I think I have an Instagram account linked to that now, but I don't take enough pictures to really make it worthwhile. Um and then I think there are links to stuff like Star Trek.com and all the other things that I do on other web people's websites. People leave their doors open on their websites and let me come in and write on them every once in a while. So they as long as they keep doing that, I guess I'll keep sneaking in and leaving 
entries on their blogs and stuff. Um, but yeah, DaytonWard.com. That's a, that's a great starting place. Perfect. Awesome, man. Well, thank you uh, just so much for being here from the very beginning with Literary Treks. And um, we cannot wait. I, I know I can't wait to see uh, what you do have coming next because, um, gosh, it's always a joy to have you on the show. And I, I got to say, this this book was super fun, and I'm hoping that we do get that third one. So I'm crossing my fingers. You're here. <laughs> thanks very much. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show and uh, uh, hopefully talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for supporting the writers. We appreciate it. Well, Matthew, anytime we get an author on the show to discuss a book, it's always a great time. And especially, you know, having Dayton Ward on who, you know, has been here from the very beginning, first episode, having him back to talk about uh, Elusive Salvation, which, you know, was first of all a really enjoyable book and second of all to really get to hear the thought process behind crafting that uh, really imaginative tale was a lot of fun it's one of the things that i've really enjoyed uh, about this series so far is the fact that it is it just feels different you know you come into it and especially this one i found there to be such a sense of fun in it and it's almost like um, not taking itself so seriously and we talked about mm -hmm. that Dayton really getting a chance to add even a few more allusions to other geek things in there just because of the type of book it is and it, it's just it's just great you know I think as we were talking about in the interview it's a good thing for Star Trek books to have this kind of book every once in a while so uh, it, it was so much fun to get the opportunity to talk about and I'm, I'm so glad Dayton was able to be here and and yeah almost 150 episodes uh, you know and and uh having Dayton be there from the beginning and and now here it's it's pretty awesome definitely Dan I'm so glad that we get the opportunity to talk to the authors like this because of our associate producers we have here through Patreon Ken Tripp Brandon Shamatola and Bruce Gibson so thankful for all of these guys for their support of the show through Patreon. Now, Patreon is the way in which listeners can support Trek FM as a network. We are a listener-supported network. There's no way that we can have over 20 different shows and the special feeds coming to you each and every week without the support of amazing listeners like you. So just go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can become part of the team. We have some great exclusive content for people, early access to content. We've got seats in the content development team. You can even be on the Patreon's roundtable, which is your own podcast every month. It's so much fun. So just check it all out at patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Dan, when you're not disappearing into blue mist and reappearing at different time periods, where can we find you? <laughs> well, you know, hopefully not too many pictures get taken of that, but that blue mist, uh, when you put the right filter on on Instagram, it looks really cool. Um, nice. <laughs> speaking of Instagram, <laughs> you can find me on there. My username there is Kurtrats47. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm also on Twitter at Kurtrats and Facebook at facebook.com slash treklitreviews. Treklit Reviews is my website where I uh, talk about Star Trek 
novels, both old and new, and that's just at www.treklit.com. You can also find me on YouTube at Kurtrats Productions, and uh, also you can find me on the Babel Conference talking about Star Trek, because there's never enough places on the internet to talk about Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) And Matthew, when you're not working behind the scenes clandestinely protecting Earth from all sorts of alien threats but never really getting the recognition you deserve for it, where can we find you? You know, Dan, that makes it really hard to take pictures on Instagram at mrushing. Uh, I'm not really allowed to tweet about it at mattrushing02, but you can find me in both of those places. I'm also here on the network with Chris Jones talking about Deep Space Nine on a show called The Orb, so check that out. We have a wonderful time talking about Trek's best series, Deep Space Nine. You can also find me, yes, (laughs) you can find me on our general geek show here on the network. You know, we love Star Trek, but there are so many other fandoms that we love, and the 602 Club is our place to talk about that here on the network so check it out it's a lot of fun uh you know we've had some great shows recently i mean we talked about uh you know all the captain america movies recently uh with civil war coming out we've talked about like batman v superman we started our bond retrospective uh starting the very beginning with uh, john champion from mission log pod talking about dr no so just some great stuff go check it out uh you you won't be sorry and of course, the very last place you can find me is on a little show that I do with my friend John Mills called Aggressive Negotiations. It is a Star Wars podcast, and you know we just love diving into the esoteric depths of Star Wars and talking about the most fun things we can think of that week. So check that out at thenerdparty.com, and you can also find us on iTunes under Aggressive Negotiations. Well, you know that with that, Dan, I think there's only one thing left to say. We'll see you next time. And until then, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.